the Bible in the pews. Uh, we're on page Hebrews, book of Hebrews, chapter 9. And I'm going to be reading from 20, the middle of 26 through the end of the chapter. Page 1872 in the Pew Bibles, 1872. beginning in the middle of verse 26, but now he, he has appeared once for all, speaking of Jesus Christ, at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Let's bow our heads as we open God's word. Father, we thank you for your precious holy word. We thank you so much for the life, and the death, and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray he'll come back soon. We invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to be with us as we open your word to a most importantly, Lord, to apply these truths to our hearts and help us to be ready and waiting for Jesus when he comes. For in his name we pray, amen. I'm taking you into a book that is not the easiest book to understand for our uh, 21st century audience in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians Christians who were very used to animal sacrifices, who had lots of Bible texts to back up what they did, and people that had turned to Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of their belief system, but because of pressure, were now reverting back to the old ways. And once you come to Jesus Christ, there is nowhere else to turn. Jesus is either all-sufficient or he's not. And so these Jewish Christians were feeling the pressure, were possibly ready to throw in the towel, and the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage them, as a good pastor would, to... Stay with Jesus all the way. The text I'm going to speak on are the ones that I read. It would be nice to read the whole chapter, but I don't think we're going to have time to do that. But we can certainly gain a blessing from these last few verses in scriptures here. The Anderson Church family knows something about death. We know a little bit too much about death, I think. And we are going to put a moratorium from this point on. Uh, no death for a while. But life isn't like that, is it? We can wish for whatever we, we want, but these things have a life of their own, and they certainly have a death of their own. 
And whether it's in my own family in England or Floyd's situation or the others like Bruce and Ben and others that have passed away in, in the not-too-distant past, um, this situation of life and death confronts every one of us. I think we will find this message relevant because these issues are always relevant. We live, we die, but that's not the end of the story. There is a judgment. So we're going to speak about some of these issues uh, this morning. When you go through the book of Hebrews, you find the writer is trying so hard to fix these church members' minds on the completeness of Jesus Christ. He is better than this. He is better than that. For example, he is better than Moses. So if, if they're into Moses, and Moses was a great biblical figure, if they're into Abraham, whoever they're into, whatever they're into. We're talking to people now that were into the Old Testament. We're not saying that they were doing anything bad on the surface. But as I said earlier, you can't turn to Jesus and then start to look elsewhere. And they didn't really fully understand that, and so the writer is trying to help them to understand that. And in the section that we're in today, if you have an introduction in your Bibles, um, a good study Bible will have a little bit of explanation of what the book is about, and then give you a, like a table of contents, you'll see that this section comes under the better sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is a better sacrifice. And of course, we would say better than what? What are the options? Well, the options in those days were the animal sacrifices. And they had lots of biblical texts to tell them how they should relate to God. The whole book of Leviticus, for example, is detailed instruction on how rightly to relate to God. And most of you know the system as they did it in those days, where you would have a priest who would represent the people. And that priest would um, have an animal sacrifice. The priest didn't necessarily sacrifice the animal, but the animal was sacrificed, and the priest would take the blood and the priest would apply the blood to the sanctuary, right? Most of you know that basic um, picture. You're familiar with that basic picture. Now, now it's saying here that Jesus is a better sacrifice than any of those animal sacrifices because those animal sacrifices pointed to him. And they have now met their fulfillment in, in him. So look at verse 26 of chapter 9. And in the middle of the text there, it says, He has appeared once for all. There's a finality to the sacrifice of Jesus and the appearing of Jesus. He's appeared once for all at the end of the ages. We've talked a little bit about phrases like that before, where we've talked of phrases like the time of the end or the last days. Here it's the end of the ages, uh, your translation might be slightly different, but what it's saying is that when Jesus came the first time, 
the end of the age started with Jesus. The beginning of the end started with Jesus Christ. Now, 2,000 years might seem a long time to you and I to be going through these end of the ages. These end of the ages seem to be for ages. Will it never end? Well, by the time we get to verse 28, yes, there, there it is. In fact, the first coming of Jesus is the guarantee that there will be an end to the age. So the Messianic age started with Jesus Christ. And you know pretty much how that went, that Jesus came, he died on the cross, the most significant death uh, on behalf of the human race, lived the perfect life, was without sin, lived a perfect, obedient life, which is what God always expected from mankind. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve did not cooperate with that, and so the legacy of sin came on the human race. So you want to know why there is death? There is death because our foreparents brought it upon the human race. Now we can always argue, as Paul does in Romans, that there is death because there is disobedience. But we know that there are, there are little children, little babies who die, who have certainly not done anything wrong, as you and I would understand it. And yet this destiny of death still comes upon them. And whichever way you cut the cake, it's never easy to deal with it. Um... So, whether we're talking of, it's really, really hard with very, very young ones, as my wife experiences that in the hospital, and uh, it, it's also hard with, with very aged people, too. So, Jesus appeared once for all, verse 26 says, at the end of the ages, to do away with sin, amen, hallelujah, by the sacrifice of who? So, what God did... This is why I've said to you in the past, who killed Jesus? And then I said to you once when we went through some of the options, well, God did. And you weren't sure of that. And you're still thinking about it to this day. But God, these texts actually say God put Jesus on display before the universe live the perfect life that is very important and it, and it is discussed earlier in the book, earlier in this chapter, the, the importance of the life of obedience that, that is expected of every man and woman, but only Jesus Christ could fulfill. And the only Jesus Christ has fulfilled. Some of us were talking earlier about Abraham, about this great man of faith, but it didn't take very long in our discussion to start seeing some of the weaknesses and the failures of Abraham. Not so with Jesus Christ. Moses, great man, were there failures? Was there sin? Yes, there was. Not so with Jesus Christ. Jesus is better in every way. And these Hebrew Christians in the first century needed to grasp and understand this quickly before they were 
swept away uh, by unbelief. So the sacrifice of himself, obviously speaking about Calvary when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And I like the phrase, but now. In fact, I was thinking, Karen's always looking for a sermon title. And I don't like sermon titles. But as a good pastor, I cooperate with my secretary. So I try and come up with a title, and but now would be a good title for this. But now, because something has changed with Jesus. It's actually one of favorite, Paul's favorite phrases in the book of Romans when he talks about, and some of us read Romans this morning, these, these sins, this legacy, this terrible legacy that came on the human race. But now, God has done something in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have that phrase uh, here. But I didn't title it, but now I titled it once for all because that also is another phrase that is used uh, in this book a number of times. So he did away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So you and I don't need to sweat over the sin issue, at least not sin, singular. It's been dealt with by Jesus Christ. And we have to believe that and we have to trust that. Apparently these Hebrew Christians were really having a hard time with that. And he says it's once for all at the end of the age. No more continual earthly priestly sacrifices. Now these were still going on and we believe that they were going on for at least 30 years after Jesus Christ died. Now think about that. You had Christians who believed in Jesus, how much they understood about some of these things I, I sometimes wonder, but they were so set in their ways, they were so used to worshiping God in a certain way, and they had all the Bible text to back them up, and then Jesus came. And it took them a while you know how hard it was for some of the Jewish leaders to, to see the significance of who Jesus Christ was. That all of these animal sacrifices were leading up to the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now he has come. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to believe and follow him and find in him the fulfillment of our belief system? Or are we going to try and follow Jesus, have one foot in the Jesus camp and one foot in the old sacrificial camp. That's the situation. And it looks like for 10, 20, 30, maybe even 40 years after the death of Jesus Christ, there were still Christians who were wrapped up in this old sacrificial system. What put an end to that? Well, the Jerusalem temple was destroyed. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 24. It says, when this, when this uh, temple is, is surrounded, when the enemy comes against it, these great stones that the disciples were pointing out, these were huge, massive stones that were so carefully laid together, seemed indestructible. Jesus said it will all come crashing down. And of course, we remember that big heavy curtain that was there in the temple, torn in two by some supernatural power. Also, symbolizing the end 
of the old age and the beginning of the new. Also, by the way, it's important to notice in verse 26 when it says uh, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, and this is once for all, that we have no place for the Roman Catholic Mass. So we have multi-millions of Christians in the world who are uh, daily doing the Mass, and this text, verse 26, denies the necessity of that. That's a funny thing, isn't it? We have these systems and these belief systems in following Jesus Christ, and we have a little twist here and a little twist there, and we get into heresy so easily. The Scripture also says, just as man was destined to die, how many times? Once. There's a lot of people in the Western world who believe in reincarnation. You live, you die, you live, you die, you live, you die, right? Not in this text. You do live, and there's some that wonder if they're really living. You live, and then you die, and then there's judgment. It's a pretty solemn thing to live, don't you think so? What makes it so solemn? Because you know you're going to die. What it makes it even more solemn is that's not the end. There is going to be a judgment. Every word, every thought, every wasted opportunity, the things you should have done that you didn't do and the things that you did do that you shouldn't do, everything's going to be on display. How do you feel about that? Good news or bad news? Well, just as man is destined to die once, you think of Adam, think of Eve, you think of the Garden of Eden, the day that you sin, you shall what? Die. From dust you came, to dust you will go back. That is your destiny. If you choose to sin, your destiny, you are determined to die. And after that, as I said, the judgment. I don't find much good news there. What I see there is law, law, law. The law demanding from man perfection. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart. To love your neighbor as yourself. Not a one of us has done that. And then to know that your legacy, there's no way getting out of it, that you are going to die. Whether you live for five years or for a hundred years, you are most certainly going to die. And then all of these things that you've done wrong are on display in the judgment. And the, the holy law is there to convict you and to condemn you to eternal damnation. Not much good news there, right? By the way, that's what the preachers of old, all the great preachers of old, that's the work that they did before they ever offered Jesus Christ to anybody. People need to realize the seriousness of living, the seriousness of dying, and the seriousness of being judged by a holy God 
who will not miss anything that has happened in your life. And when the preachers of old would do their law work, trying to bring conviction to people of a need of a Savior, then they would offer the Lord Jesus Christ as a way out. So here, that's what we find in this passage. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Sacrifice once, that's repeated. We live once, he lived once. We died once, or he died once. We were judged, so to speak. He was judged. There's some parallelism here to take away the sins of many people. So Jesus came to deal with the sin problem. And the sooner you and I understand that is the sooner we'll be happy Christians. You've not been asked to deal with the sin problem. You never could, even if you were asked to do it, you never could do it. Now maybe within the religious system of different people, they are asked to deal with the sin problem. And so we see we see uh, people going on their knees, for example, uh, till, till their knees are blooded, trying to appease God in different ways. But the only way to satisfy God is through a perfect sacrifice. So these Jewish Christians who were kind of looking longingly back, feeling this pr pressure from family and friends to get back into the old sacrificial system, which was dead, which was a useless system. That's a dead-end street, right? It's works righteousness. If Jesus is offered to you and you go some other way, what is it but works righteousness? It can't work. It's impossible. So praise God we don't have to deal in that sense with the sin issue because Christ has done that to take away the sins of many people. So he came once, and he died, and he was judged on Calvary. And what was the verdict, good or bad? How do you know? How do you know his sacrifice was accepted? How do you know his life was as perfect as we're making it out to be? Because he rose from the dead. But not just that. Because the book of Hebrews, um, possibly more than any other book besides Revelation, and Revelation came many years later after the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews probably written before the fall of Jerusalem. Hebrews tells us about his high priestly work. So yes, he rose from the dead, but then he ascended. Where did he ascend to? He, he ascends up to the heavenlies to be in the very presence of God. And there we find and know for sure that his sacrifice was accepted because Pentecost came and God's Holy Spirit was poured out and his gifts were poured out upon the church. Now we don't have just, just one follower or two followers. Now we have a mighty movement that he's taking the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hymns that Cliff chose, 
You love to tell the story. That's what they did. They told the story of Jesus. That's what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John put in in written form. The story of Jesus put in in written form. And then when we get to the book of Acts, the the story of Jesus is lived out in in a church body. Quite exciting to tell the story of Jesus Christ. So, He's accepted him. He's interceding in heaven, a big theme in the book of Hebrews for you and I. But something else is added here, which is very important for Seventh-day Adventist. Our text also says in verse 28, and he will appear a second time. As far as I know, this is the only text that talks of the return of Jesus as a second return. So it's the second time Not to bear with sin, that's been dealt with. That's done. That's finished. That's sufficient. That's once for all. But to bring what? To bring salvation. And salvation has different phases. It's a broad term. This morning, some of us were talking about imputed righteousness. That's a narrower term. Salvation is much broader. It includes God calling you. It includes your response to God. It includes your justification and your sanctification. But it also includes your glorification. And when Jesus Christ comes back the second time to bring you salvation, think of it in terms of completeness. He is completing the work that he started many thousands of years ago. The one thing that you and I do not have is a redeemed body. We are stuck with this body of sin. But when Jesus comes back, this body of sin will change. And it will be a body like his glorious body. Not a thought, not a word, not an action, not even an impulse against God or against your fellow man. Wouldn't you love to be wired like that? So, you have to wait. And that's how our text ends. We're waiting for this coming of Jesus Christ. Here in the NIV, it says he'll appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation uh, to those who are waiting for him. How should we wait? The New Testament talks a lot about waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And of course, the Bible itself talks a lot about waiting upon God. Maybe a good way of uh, summarizing this this, uh, section on Hebrews is to think of the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a special day in the Hebrew calendar. It was a day when it was like the end of the year, end of the religious year. And it was a day when the representative, the high priest, would go into a special room called the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. And he would, he would go in to represent himself, but he's going in to represent the people. And the people are very solemn. They know that this is serious stuff. And if they're not going to take it seriously, they're outside the camp. 
This is just for those who are serious about a relationship with God and take seriously the counsel that God has given on how to be right with Him. And so they would, I could imagine them there just listening ever so carefully as the priest would be in that room. They couldn't see Him. Possibly they could hear Him if they were close enough. And He would go about doing His work and He's representing the people. Better hadn't mess up. Somebody's going to lose out big time if he messes up. And then when he came out, one Bible scholar says that the, the people just celebrated because the, the, the work was finished and now the people are at one, atonement at one with God. Now when Jesus Christ, our great high priest, went into the holy of holies, went into the most holy place. The least that we should gather from this is that we are at one with God because we are trusting in faith in the one who made the once-for-all sacrifice and the one who has gone into the heavenly places to complete this work of salvation is the same one that is coming back. So how should we wait? We should wait patiently, yes. We should be serious about this stuff. I think there's nothing worse than a flippant Christian, a Christian who really is clueless about what they're professing. Does it mean we can't smile? No, there was a time of celebration. But we have to take this stuff seriously, patient, patient, Realizing that God has his own timetable and it really doesn't matter what a preacher in Oakland says, Harold by name. We're camping out, waiting for Jesus. We'll not secretly be raptured away. I'll probably deal with that in May as we get closer to the date. The whole rapture issue. But no, every eye shall see him, our ears will hear him, he shall come back with a loud trumpet call, and Jesus Christ with this deep bass or baritone voice will say, the dead in Christ shall rise. I expect Earl to be there. Who's Earl? Floyd. And many others from our Anderson church who have died in Jesus Christ. Can you see how important it is to, to know Jesus, to know about Jesus, to understand these deep, deep truths? And then to believe and to follow and to throw everything in with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know how it turned out for these Hebrew Christians. We don't really know the rest of the story. Many of them did come to believe in Jesus Christ. We, we know that, that many of the priests did from the book of Acts. But I think they had a really hard time, some of them fully understanding the significance of what Jesus Christ had done. So Jesus is coming back. It's there in our very name, Seventh-day 
Adventist. So how are we going to wait? The way that the Bible tells us to wait. Be alert. Realize that the devil is going around seeing whom he can devour. He wishes nothing for you but the worst. And Jesus wishes nothing for you but the best. Follow Jesus and you'll never go wrong. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus is better in every way. And Lord, may he be all sufficient for each one of us. May we draw our very life, our very energy from him. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us with the life of Christ. And may we share Jesus with everyone that we meet. Forgive us where we've dragged our feet, where we've kept our mouths closed, where we've not done acts of kindness as Jesus would. And we pray, Lord, that if it be your will, that he will come back very, very soon. We pray that our loved ones, our families, our children, even our enemies will be saved on that great day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.